Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Scene. All we break down this week's biggest movie and TV news. We got a whole lot of movies that came out this week. Hunger Games, Battle of Songbirds and Snakes, Trolls 3, Band Together, Next Goal Wins, all those reviews coming up. The Marvels open to an awful amount. We got a whole lot of Marvel news. Mar Madam Web trailer, What If Season 2 trailer, Pedro Pascal may be joining Fantastic Four, King Dynasty is probably not happening at this point, and we just got so much to break down on this week's episode. So much to talk about, and it feels like we've had so much to talk about ever since the strike strikes have ended, and it feels amazing. But first up on today's podcast is the Hunger Games Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes review. Such a long title. The Hunger Games franchise is one that I fell in love with around 2018 when I watched all of the movies for the first time and read all of the books that stamina for the franchise continued on to into early COVID years when I purchased the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes the moment it released in May of 2020 I believe I read through that thing so fast so fast I, I probably one day but I mean we were locked down inside while we had to worry about was murder hornets at that point uh I feel like the movie does an incredible job of adapting the book but that also includes adapting the third act that I'm still not in love with but I'm gonna get to that in a minute First, I want to go through the two acts, which were full of absolutely amazing stuff, and that's where most of the actual Hunger Games arena action is, so we have to start off with our lead. And to many, this might be a surprise, considering the Hunger Games franchise has always had a female lead with Jennifer Lawrence. The lead of this film is Coriolana Snow, played by Tom Blinth. I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce his name. I like how they call him Corio in the movie, and I like that, or just saying Snow. Snow sounds more powerful, and I mean, I say that to the further movies when he's present, so they, they don't say Coriolanus, they say Snow. But it was refreshing to see this franchise take on a male lead, and definitely gave some new life to this dead franchise at this point. With Rachel Zegler, she's a very strong supporting character. She's as close to a lead character as a supporting character can get at this point. Snow and that actor, Tom, he though you know what he does in the future, they still can able to get you to fully support his actions. Most of them, right? Most of them. He makes the likable choices, if you would call them that, in the first act, and even some decisions, not all of them, you can see where he's coming from in the third act. I don't know how he sells it, but still, a little bit evil. One emotional moment in the third act, Tom Blunt sold incredibly well, and you know what I'm talking about. They're, it's just one, let's say, him with a bin in front of him, and you know which one I'm talking about. Great, awesome stuff. Then we have Rachel Zegler, who is the one who actually gets to be in the Hunger Games arena, and that is where she truly shines. If you're an actor in the Hunger Games movie, for the most part, you want to be in that arena because that's where you're going to shine the brightest. And Rachel Zegler, she delivers a stellar performance, which she does. She just does at this point. She was great in Shazam, Fury of the Gods, despite not having a lot to do, and she was amazing in her, her debut in West Side Story. I think she won the Golden Globe that year, even though the Golden Globes weren't on that year. I'm like, oh, someone actually wanted to win the Golden Globes and it wasn't televised. I thought she was gonna be singing for most of the runtime, and I was kind of I was kind of dreading the amount of singing that I was expecting. But there actually isn't a ton of singing, and those moments are placed only where they need to be, except with maybe one too many songs at the very end of the film, the third act. This is not my favorite. Her prowess as a prow West, I can't pronounce it, as an actress during those tense, those tense scenes really lets you relate to her character, and she's the reason that her games keep going par partially her, and you really see how the audience at the Capitol came to love her, because you love her as an audience member. But the real standout performance of this film is Viola Davis, of course, Oscar-winning actress, she's amazing, I think she's an EGOT winner now, yeah, I think she just recently got that, who plays the head game maker, and she's just so deliciously evil and crazy, it's awesome, but she's not crazy to where she's stupid, she's, she's crazy smart. The conversations between her and Snow were some of the best in the movie, and the one trick she pulls in the first act with Snow's friend Got me fully on board with the character because I kind of forgot what happened in the book. But I remember a few of the key lines, like, what are the Hunger Games for? I remember the whole conversation there. But some of the little other details I forgot. 
Then we got to Peter Dinklage, who is pretty good, but he really delivers on the final scene he has with Snow, and that's when the whole audience realized what that why that man has four os- four Emmys at this point for Game of Thrones. I'm glad we get to see Peter Dinklage in bigger projects again. I, I want him to keep working. I don't want him to go rant about Snow White. Just just keep working. You're the most employed uh, little actor in the world. I'm just like, I love you and everything. Keep working. Um, Snow's best friend, Sejanus, is by far my least favorite character of this film, and he was the same in the book. Uh, so it's not really the movie's fault. He makes me, he makes so many bad decisions when he has a, when he has a path forward and he keeps bringing down others with him. The actor does a fine job, although I'm curious as to how him and Rachel Zegler are casted in the same projects together. I know they're together in real life, but it's funny how they have now been in two projects together. First, what's that story? Now this lucky Flickerman's also here. That is the father of Caesar Flickerman from the fall from the 75th hunger games the announcer of the hunger games and he does an amazing job here and he really lives up to the stanley tucci's character from the from the older ones and it feels like they could be related he had some great jokes that were definitely dark considering what we were watching but delivered almost every time he was a great host for the 10th hunger games then we have the other tributes and i feel like the film dropped the ball a little bit here but that comes with more than half of the runtime during the games taking place outside of the games themselves so we don't have as much time inside the arena itself to build up the other tributes a few of them got key attributes but for most part many of them are left dull and nothing compared to the very standout tributes in the first and second iron games films there were probably only one big standout but she only really stood out to me in the last scene we had with her other than that i never really connected with the other tributes and i really felt sad when some of them died but i mean they, i don't think they can recapture the magic of rue or the grandma from Catching Fires, mostly Rue from the first song game because it was so fresh and no people hadn't read the book had no idea that was coming and they they haven't been, they didn't weren't able to recapture that magic here um connect and you weren't able to really connect with them in a loving way nor a hateful way but that just comes with the interesting story they're telling if they'd split the film into two they would have been able to do that but I'm really glad they didn't split this into two the creators of Mocking Jay learned their lesson from the last time because they pissed off audiences last time they did that oh and I do have to mention that Hunter Schaefer she was great here. Even though we don't spend much time with her as Corio's sister, Corio is what they call him, Corio's sister, she still makes a great impression, a very sympathetic character. She's also the driving force behind Snow's actions, and you get to see why. So let's talk about that third act. I will not be spoiling anything for those who have not read the book nor have seen the film already, but they make some bold choices in the final 45 minutes or so of the film. And it still doesn't feel like they have enough time to develop them properly, but I still think they did it better than the book, which just hit me like whiplash. So hey, at least it's not whiplash. I'm curious how general audiences are going to react to the ending. I mean, you all know what's going, what's going to happen to Snow in the future of this, the future of this character, what it's going to be. I just feel like we could have developed it a wee bit better, a wee bit better. The runtime of this film is two hours and 45 minutes, but I think we just had 15 minutes more cut out of some of the smaller, more important characters. Like we could have gotten rid of the um, Rachel Zegler's, the the Lucy Gray's musical band friends that follow her around. We could have spent a little bit more in time on what would say are Snow's final two decisions in the movie. You know what two decisions I'm talking about when you see it. The action is directed well in this movie, and you could really feel the intensity of it, and I wish the act that action director could have been carried over, that action mindset director could have been carried over during those key scenes in the final act, because they could have really plussed the ending, if you know what I'm saying. As it stands right now, the film has an absolutely amazing first two acts, while the third act is a solid one, but could have been so much more. But I still wouldn't say that's the fault of the movie crew. That's the fault of Suzanne Collins, who could have just given a bit more depth for my liking, considering we're doing an origin story, and I feel like we could, those last few moments are very key to the future of this entire character. I feel like we could have just given a wee bit more. The film is one of the best book adaptations I've seen, but this is coming from someone who usually watches the film before they see the movie, so I don't 
not really the best judge on best book adaptations because I get it's different vibes I get out from each of these. But thankfully, it had been long enough so that I forgot a lot of the small details of the book. As for other critics' reactions, it started off the social media reactions came out super, super strong. Then the full critics reviews came out and it was like mid 60s and Rotten Tomatoes. Now it's falling to Rotten. I don't know what these people are watching. Maybe they just took such offense to the third act, but I feel like this is pretty good. I, I had fun with it. Uh, box office predictions are in the low 50s, but going as high as 60 million and a worldwide opening for over 100 million. It has a budget of 100 million, so I, I would consider this a huge success. Even this franchise isn't as the legs, as popular as one once, once was, and I don't think it's ever going to get that popular again unless we make a sequel with Katniss Everdeen and bring back everybody and have a new villain or something like that and do the Hunger Games again with them. Somehow that happened. I don't know, but they wouldn't do that. Or would they for money? I mean, Lionsgate doesn't have very many franchises. Doesn't have very many franchises at this point. John Wick just wrapped up, but they're trying to explode that. Expendables Four, Expendables franchise is dead, and uh, they don't really got much besides that at this point. As for my Trolls Three Band Together review, the Trolls franchise is uh, it's it's kind of just DreamWorks makes those so they can make money, and then they can go fund their fund the films that they really want to make. I feel like that's kind of the mindset I think they have. The first one. I actually really enjoyed. I think it has a very good structure. I think it's somewhat great. It has good structure, good story, inventive stuff with the Birkins eating the trolls and they have to like dance part. It's just, they put it together so well. And you got that Can't Stop the Feeling song and it was just like a huge moment. I think that was Thanksgiving of 2016. But they have not been able to live up to that first one. The second one came out, was supposed to come out at the beginning of COVID and then all the theaters shut down. So they released it, PVOD, 20 bucks, you could buy it. And it was called Trolls World Tour. That one was Fine, I've seen it once. Didn't make a huge standout. Sorry, excuse me. That always really got to me. That's what happens when you live in a house with a dog and you're allergic to dogs. Love it. But Trolls World Tour, it was fine. It wasn't as good as the first one. Not as inventive. I did like the idea of collecting the strings. I'm like, oh, am I watching Infinity War but Trolls? But they didn't have. They didn't go all the way and just annihilate all the other music choices like Rock win, which I think would have been funny if they did. Um, the third one is not as good as those. It's not even as good as the second one. It just feels a very lazy movie from DreamWorks. The amount of cover songs. I don't remember it being this bad how many cover songs there were. I thought there was more original stuff. I just didn't feel like they in incorporated as much. Like the first 20 minutes, you get hit whiplash with 10 cover songs. You're like, oh my God, you got to slow down, please, for my sanity. But I don't know where they spent. They got the budget to buy all of these rights to these songs and they decided to spend it. They spent, decided to spend it in the first 20 minutes and on NSYNC. <laughs> but the main character of this film is not Poppy, it's Branch, which Poppy's the lead from the past two films and it's weird to see Branch more take center stage because he has the backstory with his Branch's brothers who he has to reunite because they had a pop band or the like a boy band. They had a boy band, the five of them, and they're, they're all dispersed and they have to come together to make the perfect harmony to save one of their brother members. So it's basically just like, let's go get this person. Let's go get this, this person. Then this person. Then we'll call, come together. But no, first we have to yell at each other. And while we're, why we can't work together. It's just, it's pretty standard at this point. You know what you're getting into. And nothing really crazy development wise. Poppy's role. She has to do with having, like, wanting a sister. And she finally gets her long lost sister. Although she just doesn't have, she doesn't have a lot of screen time here. But the moment she does, when she has to react to what Branch has done in this past, it reminded me of, Emmett re reacting to Lucy and Lego movie, and I thought that was pretty funny. That's what Lego movie too. But the one at the end, when when she was reacting to the very end scene, oh, that one got me. She was pretty good there. I mean, the movie isn't too terribly funny because there's a lot of pee and poop jokes and just not the best jokes, but the ones that catch me off guard, like there's a one where they sign the letter, but they sign the letter with their name and then their fake band name, like Heartthrob. That one got me, even though you 
nobody else in the audience got it. I was the only one laughing because I noticed it at the end of the letter. It's the more subtle jokes that get it for me here. Um, not the more outlandish child, child like minion style, the minion style jokes at this point. The standout of the movie by far were the Birkins. That, that includes Bridget and the King. They just got, they were getting, ma- they got married at the beginning of the film. They see it in the trailer and then they have to go on their honeymoon. It's the funniest thing. They go to a water park and I love just the, the innuendos with them are, is, is just so funny. They make out, let me just say, they make out at the weirdest possible time and it's so funny. And the scene at the end, oh, I just love them. They, they are hilarious. They are the best parts of this film. And I just wish we got a whole film about them because they were just so funny. And all of the innuendo, there's a lot of innuendos in this entire film, surprisingly. I'm like, oh, especially. One with a, let me just say, like a, a ring pop. I was like, what the heck is happening here? None of these kids, and they said narc, and you saw it in the trailer. None of those kids got that. So I don't know, I guess it's just for the parents, but I was like, what is, what are we doing here? But it was still kind of fun, but it wasn't as fun as if they actually went there, because I would have, I would have lost my, lost my crap if they actually went there. The villains of this one, I'm not sure what they were. They were like lengthy and weird, skinny creatures that were pop stars that stole stuff from the trolls. I like them. They were fine. They at least favorite villains of the franchise. At least they could sing well, and they did have some fun action beats with the fight between them. But they're nowhere near the Birkin cook lady from the first one. She's amazing. Never beat her. And then also the rock lady from the last one. I thought she was pretty interesting. Now she wanted to annihilate them all. These people have a lot less relatable, relatable wants. And I don't know. The, the other the Birkins lady was pretty funny, and I lo- I think I just love the Birkins. The Birkins are my favorite part of the Trolls films. Um, there's no supporting characters from the past films besides the Diamond Baby, who've seen all the trailers. Oh my god, I love Keenan Thompson, but please, no, don't make me do it with any more Diamond Baby. The rest of them, including James Corden, were left out of the film, which I find so funny because they were a main part of the last two films, and they're just, they're not even in this one. This just one just didn't have the oomph like the previous troll films did. The film goes on a standard quest and it doesn't do much more with it like the first one did. The first film, it's actually pretty good. They never been able to recapture the fun trolls magic like the first one. And they set up a fourth, but I'm curious if they will actually make it. The franchise has kind of been on a bit of a a bit of a downtread. This one was projected to open with 28 million. The first one opened with around 40 million and I think 46. And then the second one went to PVOD. So we have no idea how well that did, but apparently it was a huge success for them. But this seems like a bit of a dip. And I wonder if that's because of the COVID audience, stuff like that. So I don't know if they're going to make a fourth one. Who knows? As so the third film I've seen in two days. I still have to see Thanksgiving, but I don't know. I'd probably just leave it for review on next week's episode, but I saw Priscilla. I'm just going to see Holdovers this weekend. I got to see Thanksgiving. I've seen so many films. These people at the movie theater probably think I'm crazy. But Next Goal Wins. I saw that on Thursday night. This is Taika Waititi's next film after Thor, Love and Thunder. And I don't think this is going to win any more audience members into his fan group. I actually think Love and Thunder, despite all of his flaws, it's got so many flaws. It's a really good, if not great film. Also, my entire family loves Love and Thunder, and they find it hilarious. I still don't understand the hate it gets online. Like, my family's never gotten that. As for Next Goal Wins, a soccer movie about Michael Fassbender coming into American Samoa to help their team just score one goal. If you've seen any sport, if you've seen a, a sports movie, if you've seen one sports movie, any sports movie at any point in time, you have seen this movie already. The comedy is pretty, it's okay. They, they try way too hard at some points, but it does feel, it, it doesn't do enough to differentiate itself from other sports movies out there. Not even have any recollection of the true story. I know exactly how I was going to play, despite one develop there was like one development. They they save one key character moment with Michael Fassman until about 15 minutes before the end of the film. I think they should have revealed it a bit earlier to let us actually sit with that development along with the characters being able to fully a- interact after it. Some of the cast members truly shine in this film. Michael Fassbender is clearly an Oscar caliber actor at this point, and you fully see that even though he acts like a prick for most of the film. 
he, a few times that prickly nature is justified because his players truly suck. They are just, they are awful. I might be throwing chairs across the field in, the sim, in a similar situation. You also have the prior coach of the film, like coach of the team. He's in the film and he provided most of the laughs for me and my friend. His name is Ace. His presence was perfect and by far the standout of the film. The film also, besides dealing with the soccer issue, has a subplot about a transgender woman who eventually you see co her coaching side come out. And I liked what developments they had with her. I saw Hunger Games and Next School Wins in the same day, and it's cool to see how Hunger Games casted Hunter Schaefer and just a regular wolf of a woman as Corio's sister, or excuse me, cousin. And you wouldn't even notice that. And then you get Next School Wins, which they have a whole huge subplot about those characters. Trans representation in Hollywood is cool, and I hope those groups are happy with what they got. I mean, I can't speak to it because I'm not trans, but. I mean, that's cool. That, that just showed up in the same week. I was like, oh, that's interesting. We also have Elizabeth Moss and Will Arnett here, but their scenes weren't fu that funny to me. I think they could have done a lot more. So a pretty standard sports movie that had some good laughs for me and my friend, along with the feeling of joy at the end that only sports movies can get you, but most sports movies can get you there. But again, it's nothing special, and it's nothing that you need to go out and see, nor really see it on streaming. You are fine just skipping this film. This is, eh. and it's projected to have a $4 million opening weekend, and that is, whoo! Oh, that's just awful. Absolutely awful. And yeah, it's making no money at this point, which is which is kind of kind of sad at this point. Now we gotta talk about the Marvel's box office of this past weekend. Oh man, this is some really bad news. The Marvel's open to the lowest box office ever for an MCU film ever at $46.1 million. Despite a light last-minute push from the cast of the Marvels. Now that the actor strike is over, it's still open super low. The weekend projections started around 75 million last weekend, but then the pre-sale numbers came in and they were lower than Black Adam, which opened to 67 million, and The Flash was open to 55 million. Both were awful results for $200 million temples, but this is even worse and it's so sad. Then projections were lowered to around mid-50s, then to 50 million, and it finally came in at 46 million. And I know a lot of you are gloating right now about this drop, seeing it as a long time coming for the MCU, and I agree partly, but their quality... Their quality control has been dropping off the face of the earth, but I wish this giant wake-up call didn't come for this film because I had so much fun with this film and I have actually seen it three times. And I went with a big group over the weekend and we all had we all had a great time. And yes, we were the only ones in the theater besides one single person way in the back. It was so surreal to be Friday opening night for a Marvel film and basically being the only the only ones there. It was a sad sight to see. And I actually I actually lived the fake tweet from the first Captain Marvel when People claim that Disney bought tickets themselves and they took like picture of an empty theater says, wow, I'm seeing Captain Marvel opening week and nobody is here. And it was like, oh, it's so fake because they didn't buy their own tickets. And now I go to this one. It's empty. And it's it's just kind of funny to, re to actually live that. Also, speaking of the first Captain Marvel, we need that guy who saw the film 30 times to get out and go see this 30 this film 30 times because maybe, maybe that kind of can be me at this point. I don't know how many films are coming up. Maybe I can do it. The first Captain Marvel opened to $153 million back in 2019, about two months before Avengers Endgame came out. I think everyone knew Captain Marvel was set to play a big role in Avengers Endgame. Samuel Jackson was there. Scrolls were there. First ever female-led MCU super film, and it looked pretty cool and powerful. It was a perfect storm, perfect storm despite the lukewarm critic and audience scores that powered that first film to over $1.1 billion worldwide. They would kill for that kind of performance at this point for a superhero origin story. But compare $153 million opening to a $46 million opening, and you just see an absolute insane drop-off. So why did this performance happen? There are so many reasons, so I thought I'd just break down all the ones I believe affected it. First of all, the marketing for this film has been incredibly subpar. The trailers really did not connect, and I think this issue stems overall with Disney as a whole. 
Other pundits have been pointing this out, but Disney films really have been marketed so plainly at this point. Very vanilla marketing. Haunted Mansion, The Creator, A Haunting in Venice, Indiana Jones 5, Little Mermaid, and so many more all didn't hit like they would have three years ago when they when Disney actually marketed their movies like events. Disney really needs to, to fire their head advertisers because the demographics came out for this movie and it's still around 60% men. How is this happening when three leads and the villain are female? It comes down to the marketing because the people did not connect it to the right audience. And along with the marketing, we do not we do have to mention that no 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 cast promotion did not aid in the performance either. Next up, we have the film itself. Everyone in my personal life that's seen it has a good time with it. They may not be overly in love with it, but at least they had a good time. The cinema score would tell another story as the film had a B minus. That is lower than Ant-Man and the Wasp. I think no, it had a B. That is below Ant-Man and the Wasp: Quantumania's B plus. And a few other notable ones. This is the same cinema score as The Flash, which I still think is is okay. Which had a, a just, uh, but my I personally cannot fathom the score. But it's so it's undeniable that people are not satisfied with this movie. So it's not going to help it with the word of mouth of this film, nor the legs it needs at this point to sustain an elemental like run. It's not happening. This thing's not legging out. Oh, and by the way, the film opened to 110 million worldwide. So overseas is not even billing this film out either. And the audience scores over there are even worse, especially in China and Europe, from what I've seen. We have to mention that the first Captain Marvel was not beloved by audiences and seen as a largely forgettable. I mean, it's fine. Not one of my MCU, fa MCU favorites. And then Monica was introduced on WandaVision. Well, at least they developed her there and received her. She received her powers there. She was introduced in the first Captain Marvel, a TV show. Miss Marvel was introduced on her own TV show. And Nick Fury just spent his last moments on Secret Invasion, a TV show. All these characters, main characters of the movie are not familiar. The audiences aren't familiar with them. And I think most of them feel lost because they did not watch the shows on Disney+. Plus. The audience for these films needs to be much longer, larger than the Disney Plus shows. So yeah, people don't know or love these characters at this point, even though I really do at this point. I love them. Then we have the status of the MCU overall. And that is one, that's one that's just, it's just not on the same quality level as it was. Secret Invasion and Ant-Man and Wasp Quantumania are just examples of, from this year project, just this year projects that were just really, really bad, like awful. They need to spend more time on writing these things before we go into production because not all these structural issues can be fixed in post. We are seeing them, we are seeing them delayed almost everything in 2020 to 2025. Deadpool 3 is the only MCU film releasing next year. Hopefully this gives them time to fix their quality level and Deadpool 3 is a surefire hit at this point. So that's a good film to come back with. And when the film's our quality, the audience shows up, maybe not first weekend at this point due to trust issues, but when audience know it's a great movie, they will be there. So that's what Kevin Feige needs to focus on at this point, making great movies and redeeming the trust audiences once had in the MCU. Also, not releasing Loki series, Loki series finale and the Marvel's premiere night on the same night. That would help. Why did we do this on the same night? Ridiculous. Let's spread out the MCU love, especially when we'll be waiting a minute before we get anything else. Is everybody ready for an MCU break? I think maybe I may be the only person at this point that's not ready for a break. And to think a year ago, I was enjoying Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which opened to more than $180 million. God, what an emotional movie. And MCU, will we ever get back there again? I think I think we can. I think we can do it. Last topic we got to cover today is a whole lot of MCU news. So, first of all, we got Pedro Pascal is cast as Mr. Fantastic. So we have a lot of whole Fantastic forecast news that needs to be broken down. The rumors on this film have been crazy at this point, and I'm glad we are finally getting some cast members officially cast, or as official it's going to get at this point. Let's start with the major news, and that is Pedro Pascal is in talks to star as Mr. Fantastic, Reed Richards in the upcoming Fantastic Four film. The film is being directed by Matt Chapman, who did WandaVision, which even though 
Loki is amazing. It's still my favorite show, my, my, my favorite Marvel show. And I believe close to one of the best things ever put out by Marvel. And it's one of my favorite shows of all time. The Fantastic Four film is currently set to open the summer of 2025. Marvel must. They need to get back to the summer opening window next year. And they will surely not that let, not miss it anytime soon after missing it this year. The Fall Guy took that spot for this year. As for Pedro Pascal, the deal is all but done at this point. They still have yet to sign it, though, as they have to work it out with his schedule next year. He has to shoot Gladiator 2, then Last of Us Season 2, and then a Western. But Marvel and Pedro Pascal's agents are pretty confident they can fit it in there, so it's almost for sure at this point going to work for Pedro Pascal, being the second lead in this film. And I love this casting. I love Pedro Pascal and everything that he's done. I feel he can really do the darker, more evil side of Reed Richards while still making the character lovable. Joel did some evil stuff in Last of Us, but we still love him because of Pedro Pascal. Also, he is bringing the needed star power for this film and is soon going to be in every major film franchise at this point. Star Wars, DC, what's next? I can't wait for him for another great press tour from him because I'm just so in love with this casting. It's unbelievable. As for the other cast members of Fantastic Four Family, the lead of the film is set to be Sue Storm, who is heavily rumored to be played by Vanessa Kirby. She's from The Crown, Mission Impossible, and the upcoming Napoleon. She is such a striking figure and is a perfect fit for Sue Storm. I really love that casting as well. The other two members of this family are a little bit less certain. The, the more certain of the two is the casting for Johnny Storm, who is rumored to be playing, played by Joseph Quinn, who got his fame from Stranger Things Season 4. He's also starring in the new Quiet Place film coming next year, and his star power is on the rise, and he seems charismatic enough for it. Lastly is the casting of Ben Grimm slash The Thing, who is rumored to be played by Ivan Moss Buckrock. I hope I pronounced that right who was on the show The Bear right now, which I have started, but I fell off because it was really stressing me out. But I really want to get back in and finish it when my life is a little less stressful. But I think this is the role that is gonna that is needed the last because most of it's going to be mocap. So I feel like that role is probably less stressful than the other three are supposed to be cast. As for those outside the Fantastic Family, Galactus, who is rumored to be the main villain, is set to be played by Javier Bardem, who is the frontrunner. And this villain will also be supported by the Silver Surfer, who's apparently will be a woman. Please don't Kevin Feige, even though it doesn't really matter in the long run. Like, I don't really care. You feel like the Silver Surfer looks really striking as is. Galactus being the villain, I truly like. And being played by an actor like Javier Bardem, we could truly have a great Marvel villain, which are few and far between at this point and really always for the studio. They don't really make the best villains, but Silver Surfer needs to be dude at this point. We've, we've, we've uh, gender been enough characters. Let's keep Silver Surfer as a dude. Then we got the news that Desto Dan Dustin Daniel Cretton exited the director's seat of Avengers King Dynasty, along with the confirmation that Jeff Loveness is no longer writing the film. So Dustin Daniel Cretton is not leaving the studio, though. He's not leaving Marvel's, Marvel Studios, but he has now dropped out of the project and will be focusing on the Wonder Woman show. He's Wonder Man show he's producing, which is set to begin filming after Thanksgiving break. And then we get, get back in the game by going back to work on Shang-Chi 2, which is desperately needed. I need a Shang-Chi sequel. Shang, can't speak. Shang-Chi sequel now. One of the best MCU movies of all time, I have to say. That movie is truly great. I'm glad we don't have to wait till after the next two Avengers movies to see the sequel again. But what does that mean for Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars? Both of which are set to release in 2026 and 2027, respectively. Sorry, my nose is just so stuffed up today. And I don't know if those can make those dates at those rate. No writer and no director attached for Kang Dynasty would lead me to believe that they might just be scrapping their plans regarding Kang at this point, especially with Loki Season 2 giving them out and out for the Kang storyline. 
an out I would be all for. I'm already over this Kang storyline, and I'm ready to move on. I think what they should do is just Secret Wars in two parts, because insiders say that Marvel is still planning on doing a two-part Avengers film. But they need to get out as soon as they can to reinvigorate the MCU. We need to like put this all together, put it in the big picture. Also, I need some more Avengers action right, real bad right now. And let's wrap up this multiverse stuff so we can move on to Moons and Mutants and Fantastic Four. <laughs> but let's cover some more definitive stuff now. And that is the two trailers that released on Wednesday. What if season two is the first one that we will discuss, which will be releasing on December 22nd with nine episodes with a new episode dropping every day for nine days straight. I absolutely love this release strategy because I will be on holiday break, but please don't drop these at 3am. Drop them in normal times like Loki and Ahsoka. I would really appreciate it. I've given my thoughts on the first season of what if, so I won't rehash them here, but I thought the show said had some really high highs and some really low lows. My biggest criticisms criticism was that the concepts of the questions were not the best and could have been approved a lot. The action, the animation was all stellar, but some episodes stood out way more than others. Doctor Strange's one, the Strange Supreme, and then the Ultimate Ultron. Those two in particular really stood out, stood out to me. As for season two, the trailer looks absolutely gorgeous. Grandiose. It looks grandiose. The concepts do look, look a bit better, besides the Tony Stark Sakarian one, which is recycled from the last season. The car chase scene looks so boring, and I really, I really don't need think that episode looks good especially when we already know the outcome through the ending of the last season also i don't really need a follow-up to the captain carter's episode i'm ready to move on from that character after she got obliterated by wanda but as for non-follow-ups we see the 1980s avengers that's the main focus of this trailer hank pym hank pym's version of ant-man goliath captain marvel but the one from the 90s the original one and chichala's fathers as a black panther they get most of the action meets in that episode looks really cool also, Winwu versus Odin looks super awesome, and we do get a glimpse of Wanda. I need Wanda back in the MCU. Elizabeth Olsen, please come back and be a main member of Avengers. Make her one of the head Avengers. I would love it. I'm still not super excited for the show because it does just look like more of the same from the first season, but this trailer is really well edited, and I love the release schedule, so it'll be nice Christmas present to all of us Marvel fans. I also don't have to talk about it weekly. Rather, just split into two parts, maybe, or just do one review for that show, and that's also nice. This is our last Marvel news, even if it's not from Marvel themselves. That is the teaser trailer for Sony's next Spider-Man movie, Madam Web. They are actually releasing three Spider-Man adjacent films next year with this, Kraven, and Venom 3. I don't know if I can take that, especially when we only have one Marvel film next year and one DC film coming next year. Those being Deadpool 3 and Joker fully, I do. It's going to be rough. It's going to be rough for comic movies next year. It's going to be a bad year for comic movies. I, they really don't need that right now. As you know, I absolutely hate the Sony Spider-Man adjacent films produced by R.E.R.E.D who I ranted about last week's episode for the for the Zelda news. And this trailer, although it looks bad, still looks better than any of those other Spony Spider-Man films. But that's that's a really low bar. The parts I liked about that trailer were the opening parts with the fight in the diner, when the camera switched up and when Ezekiel Sims guy jumped on the ceiling. That was awesome. And it was cool seeing all the women dressed up as spider costumes. We are actually going to see spider people in a Spider-Man adjacent films. Who would have thought? Sydney Sweeney's outfit looks the best though as Jessica Drew and the black and white outfit as Spider-Woman. But as for the villain, his costume just looks absolutely awful and very low budget. And so is his backstory. People online were already making fun of the, the they already tore up parts of the scope of the Amazon, the researching spiders in Amazon. They made it into a meme and it's like, oh, do we get another Morbius meme? Okay, I'm glad that this movie comes out if we get more Morbius style, Morbius style memes. And the action doesn't really look great either, but still looks better than Morbius and Craven. So it's it's got that going for it. I don't. It looks better than than literal dog poo. But I don't think this film is going to be good, nor is it going to be good for the comic book industry as a whole. But hey, Sony really wants to make some money out of this while they can. And I mean, get the bag. Do it before this whole industry crashes. 
As for what's coming next week, the first big release is Wish. Now, my excitement for this film has been decreasing since they put out the first teaser trailer, which I was really impressed by, and I was really enjoying that one song they were using to promote this, but the more they've revealed, the more I realized that I do not like this animation style, and it's just not gelling for me, and it looks really unfinished, but maybe it'll look good on the silver screen. Also, the music they've been slowly putting out hasn't been doing it for me either, but I haven't listened to the full version of the songs they've dropped because with musicals, I want to wait to, what, to see what the songs with the visuals are like because that plays a huge difference in my mind. I hate the talking goat, but I do love the wishing star in the popcorn bucket for the film is a glowing star, and I will 100% be purchasing that collectible. If this film does live up to the online reactions and early reactions, the reviews aren't as positive, then maybe I'll have come out saying this level one. One of my Disney... Hopefully it'll be one of my Disney favorites because I haven't loved a Disney animation film, like truly loved it since Frozen 2. Ryan, Kanto, and Strange World are all lower tier for me, even though Encanto did get a very emotional punch out of me. I just don't love it like the perfect movies like Moana or Frozen 2. Those are some great Disney animated movies. And Encanto is just a little bit lower level. Then we got Napoleon. I just don't really like these types of movies. This is going to sound so strange, but war movies are not my thing because they just get me so mad about the world, even though I know this stuff happened. But it just really makes me hate humankind, especially when you see awful wars take place in front of your eyes, like modern time around the world currently. I'm going to review it, and I may actually come out loving this film, especially with the stellar cast and the production design. But these films are just, they're just not targeted for me. They are targeted for my grandfather. So I will be there sometime over Thanksgiving weekend. Probably won't review Napoleon on next week's episode. Probably going to be the week after. But I'm going to record Tuesday night after seeing Wish, and I won't have time to see Napoleon because I'm going to be out of town. But I will be, of course, seeing that sometime. But again, this movie is definitely not my thing. But thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. I know I ran through a lot of that stuff quick because my nose and my allergies are driving me insane. But I had to get my reviews out there because I went and saw four movies, got two movies in the next two days, then Wish on Tuesday, and sometimes seen Napoleon. I'm just seeing I'm seeing everything. All those movie theater employees think I'm legit insane at this point, I bet, because they look at me crazy every time I come in there twice in one day. But I love it. I love seeing all these movies. So. Let me know what you got about all this. Make sure you follow me on my social medias. Everything's linked down below. But thank you all so much for listening. Have a good night now. Bye-bye.